This is Castle Stories, a podcast from Newcastle Castle about the rich history of the North East. Hello, and welcome to Castle Stories. I'm your host, David Silk. We've previously treated the topic of colour in the medieval period on this podcast, uh, particularly the myth that the medieval world was drab and brown, and how that is simply not true. So, today, we're going to tackle a similar myth, also made popular by modern representations of the Middle Ages in the media, the myth of the foul-smelling Middle Ages. To be fair on modern books and films, this is not a myth exclusive to modern media. For a long time, it has been received historical orthodoxy that medieval towns and villages were filthy places that bred disease, and that medieval people rarely bathed, smelled foul, and were infested with parasites. There are in fact still plenty of clickbait articles online purporting to reveal things like 10 disgusting things about the Middle Ages. This all fits with a well-known pattern in history, people looking down on the people who came before them as being dirty or ignorant to make themselves feel better about the times that they live in. So here I am to tell you that medieval people showered regularly and had pristine teeth, right? Well, not quite. People living in the developed world today are probably more concerned with personal hygiene than anyone has been at any point in the past, and more able to do something about it. Personal grooming is a huge industry. Most people shower at least once every day and spend a load of time being shamed about their personal appearance by social media and advertising. This is all a very modern development. Even if you go a couple of generations back, showers were pretty much unknown. Most people only really had a bath once a week or so, and had only a few sets of clothes, went to the toilet outdoors, and so on. Yet, we'd be a bit less likely to accuse our granny of being filthy and disease-ridden for all of this. People did what they could to stay clean in those days, within the bounds of what was possible. Medieval people were no different from that. Living in a dirty world where lots of people worked with their hands in industries like butchery, woodworking, farming, dyeing, tanning and so on, medieval people were in fact deeply concerned with the question of how to stay clean. So, what was medieval personal hygiene actually like? Well, most documents suggest that from the Viking Age onwards, most people washed their face, hands and teeth when they got up in the morning. Contrary to popular belief, soap was perfectly available in Europe even before the Romans arrived. Medieval soap was made of animal fat, wood ash, lime and various herbs to help with the smell, while teeth were picked with a green hazel twig and rubbed with rough linen, with a primitive toothpaste being made from salt, ground sage, rosemary, cloves or mint. Common finds from the medieval period include little hygiene sets of tweezers, picks for getting dirt from under the fingernails, and tiny spoons for scooping out earwax, kind of like a modern cotton bud. Combs are also an extremely common archaeological find from the medieval period and usually had narrow teeth to help with removing any lice or other parasites. These were common, but again, medieval people weren't resigned to living alongside parasites. Lots of medieval texts give recipes, including steam baths with various herbs, to get rid of nasty little creatures and recommend regular washing of the clothes. Hands were washed regularly throughout the day, especially during meals. 
Most tables had a large ewer or jug of herb-scented water so that hands could be washed at the table in between courses. The major difficulty in all of this was getting hold of water. Most people's morning wash would just have been in a bucket of cold water with a linen towel to rub and dry yourself, as all of the household water would have to have been brought from a well or a public fountain. The idea of simply turning on a tap to get water was restricted really to the very upper classes. Newcastle Castle Keep actually has lead pipes running through the wall that once carried water from the well room down into the lower chambers, and which would have been equipped with a sort of tap, similar to the kind of thing you would, have found, you would find in a beer barrel to get the water out. But this was cold water. Bathing was therefore a less common affair for commoners, although those who could afford to bathe bathed as often as possible. It's interesting to note, for example, that in Old Norse, the name for Saturday translates as bath day, which does imply that many people, if not the majority, bathed at least once a week. You really had two options for a proper bath. If you valued your privacy, bathing in your own home involved a huge wooden tub, something like half a barrel, lined with linen cloth to avoid nasty splinters. Water for this would have to be heated in a pot over a fire and would need to be constantly replenished to maintain a comfortable heat. So this was a lot easier to do if you were a noble living in a castle with access to plenty of servants to run backwards and forwards to fetch you a continual supply of hot water. This would be considerably more difficult for common people, although it was not actually that unusual even for common households to have a servant, such as an apprentice living in the household or, or something like that. And if a servant was not available to you, well, you could always press your children into service. The other alternative that you had, for those less concerned with privacy, was a public bathhouse. We tend to associate public bathing with the Romans, but actually most towns in the Middle Ages had one or more public bathhouses in operation. These were called stews. In fact, the name of the foodstuff, I think, derives from the word for these bathhouses, where people would sit and be gradually warmed in hot water, something like the way you cook a stew. And they show up in a lot of medieval artworks, and seem to have been popular places to go and catch up on all the latest gossip, as well as hang out with loads of naked people in a big tub. Of course, some people might point out that bathing in water that has already been used by loads of other people might not strike us as very hygienic today, but frankly, that hasn't stopped hot tubs being incredibly popular so perhaps that's not so much of a concern. These stews were usually built next to the town bakery, so that the heat from the ovens could be used to heat up the water and maintain a constant temperature, but other than that they seem to have been similar to private baths. That is, they were large wooden tubs filled with water, and there were servants in these bathhouses to help towel you off, and sometimes, in particularly posh ones, even entertainment. Some medieval manuscripts show minstrels playing for people as they clean themselves in the bathhouse. Now these places, these stews, were notorious among members of the clergy as places where immoral and downright naughty goings-on might be, well, going on. After all, if you get lots of naked people and put them in one place, you can guess what the results might well be. And clerics actually frequently lambast these public bathhouses, although seemingly to limited effect. In fact, despite the modern proverb, cleanliness is next to godliness, 
The opposite might be said to have been true in the medieval period. Because bathing was seen as something of a luxury, monks were usually forbidden from taking more than two or three baths every year, and some particularly saintly people never bathed at all, seeing the resultant parasites and sores as a visual sign that they were rejecting worldly concerns for more spiritual matters. This actually is probably one of the main sources of the myths, and for once, it isn't modern scholars or modern films that are to blame, but medieval people themselves. Because a lot of the written material that we have from the medieval period was written down by scholars working for the church, and churchmen were morally opposed to people bathing too much, because this was a sign of vanity and luxuriousness, actually lots of medieval texts do contain warnings and exhortations to the faithful to avoid excessive cleanliness, as this was seen as a sign of earthly vanity, if you like. Constant changing of the clothes is another modern habit that has been made very easy by the circumstances that we live in. There's a lot of availability of cheap clothing, and of course, we have washing machines and tumble dryers. But before these inventions, keeping your clothes clean was a bit of a mission. Ask your grandparents, and I'm sure that they will be able to tell you a great many stories about the difficulties of wash day. Most people in the medieval period only really had a few sets of clothes, with the outer layer usually being made of wool, and then linen clothing worn next to the skin to help absorb some of the sweat. Now, it was a lot easier to wash linen than wool, and also linen had the tendency of softening the more you washed it. So it was seen as preferable to have these body linens, which is the equivalent of our underwear, being washed regularly, but actually leave the outer layer of clothes, which were often just had dirt beaten off them and were only washed fairly infrequently. When you did go to wash your clothes, soap or lye was used to clean clothes, the same as it was to clean people's own bodies. And they were usually washed in rivers and ponds and even in big wooden tubs, pretty much the, the same as the baths that we were talking about. Washing in rivers, they were quite careful to differentiate between rivers and ponds, or areas of rivers and ponds at least, that were used for washing, and to try and keep them upstream from where there might be animals. We do actually hear in some medieval texts of arguments breaking out between laundresses and farmers um, over who gets to have their cows drink in a particular bit of the river and who gets to wash their clothes there. Laundresses then used a laundry bat, a kind of wooden object, a bit like a cricket bat, to literally beat the dirt out of the cloth, and the clothes were then stretched out on bushes or on special areas of grass near towns called a drying ground. Wouldn't have been an unusual sight in the medieval period to see large amounts of clothes near a town stretched out on lawns drying in the sun. Now, if clothes were cleaned infrequently, it was even more difficult to wash bedding and other soft furnishings. But medieval texts nonetheless make it clear that it was important to change the straw regularly in things like your mattresses in order to avoid lice. And various plants and herbs that were believed to kill off these little critters were placed into the mix of straw. Alder was considered particularly good for this. Now, personal hygiene is of course only one aspect of all of this. Medieval people did, believe it or not, also try their best to keep their towns, castles and houses clean. Toilets, known as latrines or garderobes, were common within upper-class buildings like castles. The castle keep in Newcastle, for example, has four garderobes to serve the main tower. 
and towns generally had public conveniences and employed people who, by the Tudor period, were called gong farmers, muckrakers, or night soil men to clean the streets of any debris, and they took the waste to established stone-lined cesspits or just piled them up in big heaps known as middens, which at least kept that all in one place and out of the way of the general citizens. Gong farmers may not have been the most popular people living in a medieval town, and I suspect having that on your resume would have made it difficult to make friends, but these people were relatively well-paid professionals, and town authorities clearly took pride in keeping their streets and buildings clean and well-maintained. All of this was rather hard to police, just like it is nowadays, and one of the most common complaints that we find in medieval texts, particularly texts relating to the law, is people complaining about the mess that other people are making. Butchers were a common target of legislation in medieval towns, to stop them flinging bones, blood and other animal waste into rivers or into the street. Dyers and tanners, and other people who practised a particularly nasty-smelling craft, were often forced to practice outside the town boundaries to avoid them infecting the air. This was important. To medieval people, bad smells weren't just unpleasant to live around. They believed that bad smells were one of the things that spread disease. Ironically, an idea not a million miles away from the truth, since if something smells bad, it quite possibly is going to be pretty unhygienic in the sense of being full of germs. Similar to this, we know that people were regularly fined for throwing waste from chamber pots into the streets. This has led to a belief that this was the standard way of getting rid of waste in the medieval period. But what it shows instead is that medieval people were actually extremely concerned with stopping that kind of thing happening because they understood that people throwing the contents of their toilet out into your street was not a great thing, and they went to great lengths to keep their places of habitation as clean as they could. The archives in Kew contain a letter written by the king to the people of Newcastle ordering them to stop throwing their waste into the moat of the castle, which was apparently causing great consternation to the king's ministers, who lived in the castle year-round, who said that this was spreading a foul stench and infecting the air. It has to be said that this does not seem to have been too closely observed by the townspeople, as lots of broken pots and animal bones have been dug out of the moat over the years by archaeologists. While this gives us a great idea of daily life in medieval Newcastle, including what meat they were eating, how they were cooking it, and so on, it must have been immensely annoying to the poor people who had to live in the castle. But the fact that people often flouted these regulations shouldn't make us think that medieval people were just naturally filthy or that any of this was the normal way of getting rid of waste. Plenty of people in the modern day, after all, engage in fly-tipping, but driving out to the isolated roadside area and throwing your rubbish onto the grass is not the standard way that we would say that we get rid of our rubbish. All of this is only a short introduction to the subject, which is now getting a lot more attention as people try to engage in a little more medieval social history and maybe reverse the image of the medieval person as a foul-smelling and ignorant creature little better than a beast and replace it with the image of people trying to do their best to keep clean in difficult circumstances. One thing I will leave you with is the interesting little fact that in terms of dental hygiene, medieval people may have been considerably better than a lot of people you'll meet today. Skeletal analysis finds that in medieval people, around 20% suffered from tooth decay, whereas in the early 20th century, before the regular fluoridation of water, that number was nearer 90%. 
there were advantages, it turns out, to sugar being so immensely expensive that almost no one could ever eat any. So, I'll leave this episode there, and to give you something to mull over until the next episode, I will leave you with this little medieval aphorism about the good life. Venare, ludere, lavari, bibere, hoc est vivere, which means to hunt, to play, to bathe, to drink. That is to live. Castle Stories is a Newcastle Castle production. This week's host was David Silk. You can find out more about Castle Stories and about Newcastle Castle at newcastlecastle.co.uk.